Moving on to a different portion of scripture this morning. Romans, the 12th chapter, verses 14 through 21. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The word of God, let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for these inspiring words. We thank you, Lord, that they cut to the very heart of humankind and who we are as Christians. And Father, we pray that your spirit this morning would sear them into our minds and more importantly into our hearts so that our lives may reflect them in a glorious way. And we pray that through that, Father, that you would receive the glory that only you deserve. Lord, I pray that the words I speak this morning be not of me or be mine, but be yours and glorifying unto you. For in Christ's precious name we pray, amen. So as we start a new section of Romans 12 this morning. It continues on this same theme. And the general theme that we've seen thus far in the entire chapter of Romans is how we interact with each other as Christians and how we deal with each other. I don't know about you, but I found this 12th chapter to demonstrate to me how how far I fall short. Anyone else have that opinion? This 12th chapter is incredibly difficult for me to look at and try to see how I'm not what it is and how much work I need to be doing on this guy in particular. And so I hope that everybody else sees it in the same light. We have a series of exhortations or a series of commandments that, are, that Paul expresses to us. And they are extremely difficult principles. And too often, as Christians, we read them and we say, yeah, that's impossible. And so we close the book quickly and we run away. But I encourage us not to do that. Because that's not why they were written. It's not why Paul gives them to us. He gives us these exhortations and commands for us to keep in the best way that we can, in the best way that we know how. If every time something was difficult and we just closed the book and we just put it away because we don't want to try, then we would be like the world. And it is these commands that should make us different than the world. We are to be unique in every way. And part of that uniqueness is exhibited and is for us to exhibit by using and putting to work these commands that Paul has given us. The one trait 
that is or weaves its way through the tapestry of chapter 12 and is common to all these commands is in verse 3. Remember I've had that saying as we've gone, go back and see verse 3. We're going to do that and we're actually going to go back and see verse 3 a little later on. But verse 3 is so important to everything else that Paul tells us throughout this chapter. And if you remember verse 3, what he tells us, he says, examine yourself so that you not think more highly of yourself than you ought to. It is impossible for us to implement these commands to our lives in any way that's reasonable if we don't take serious the exhortation in verse 3. If we don't look at ourselves for our own pridefulness or check ourselves for pridefulness. If we looked at these exhortations, they are selfless in nature. In order to keep them, we have to be selfless. And that's just the thing. If we think too much of ourselves, we're not going to be selfless. It's just the opposite, right? The most proudful and arrogant person... See, there's someone cold out there that didn't raise their hand, and I'm not going to mention any names... You know, I actually wanted to come up here and do this. The most prideful and arrogant people are the most selfish. You will never hear laudatory remarks coming from someone that is selfish and prideful. They won't ever tell someone, I'm proud of you, you're doing a good job. The encouragement won't be there because all they're doing is waiting for it to come to them. They're wanting it all for themselves. All of these exhortations, all of these commands deal with being selfless. And in order for us to be selfless, we have to go back and see verse 3. Because we'll never get there if we don't see verse 3. You look at verses 14 through 21, and we see how it requires selflessness to even be able to begin to complete them. There's a large number. I read a large group there this morning. There's a lot of stuff in those seven verses. And my temptation is to just lump them all together and move on. But I'm going to fight that temptation because I think if we, if we do that, if we just lump them all together and it's one message and I deal with seven verses then we're going to miss out on a lot of gold that's in each and every one of them. And so I'm going to just basically deal with 14 and 15 this morning as we normally do. So we're going to be talking about pride and selfishness and selflessness as we go through all of these over the coming weeks, which may very well take us up to the Christmas season. I don't know. Bless those who persecute you. These are tough, folks. These these aren't easy. You you, you don't have that easy button that you just press and we're able to do that. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. 
So we look at these and you have to ask yourself, is there any connection at all between the two of these? Because if you just sort of superficially read them, it doesn't appear that there is a connection. But as we look at them a little deeper, you're going to see that the connection is apparent. And it's real and and it's there for us to, to dig into. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Now, there might be a situation where someone has persecuted you. Verse 14. Someone has persecuted you, made you angry. What is the worldly, ungodly, unchristian reaction to that? If you are agitated, angry at someone because they've wronged you, what do you do when they rejoice? Hmm. You weep when they rejoice. What do you do when they weep? You rejoice when they weep. So you see how that works. If someone has wronged you, someone's bitten and you have taken it personally, you don't do this. You rejoice when they weep and you weep when they rejoice. That's the ungodly attitude that we're born with. That's what we do as human beings. Now we ask ourselves, are are there ever any circumstance when we should weep when they rejoice and rejoice when they weep? I would say to you, yes. There are instances such as that. We rejoice when a sinner is weeping over their sin and they come to repentance, right? Rejoice with that. That, That's wonderful. That's the whole point of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. Is there a time when we should weep when they are rejoicing? Yeah, that too. When someone is rejoicing in their sin, we should not rejoice with them. Because when we do that, we are encouraging that action. So when they are rejoicing in their sin, even if on the surface they feel like they're having a good old time, we should be weeping over that situation because we are weeping wanting them to repent and turn and come back. So, in isolation, this verse doesn't work. It works with respect to those who have persecuted us. But there are times when we rejoice when someone is weeping and we weep when others are rejoicing. And so I I want us to know that and think about that as we move through this. And these next few passages that I have shows us that Jesus warns These folks, woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. These were those that were full of sin, and they were rejoicing in that sin because that sin was making them happy. They were full, they were filled, everything was great, they thought, in their lives. And Jesus was like, no, woe to you. You should be weeping because this joy is superficial. It's not real. 2 Corinthians 7.10 For godly grief produces repentance, 
that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. Weeping is wonderful here, is it not? Weeping is wonderful because you see the sin in our lives. We repent of that sin. We mourn over that sin. We weep over that sin and we turn from it. And that, in turn, leads to eternal life. How often is it the case that we weep over each other's sin? We don't. And that takes us back to last week, right? That family-type relationship. Too many times it's like, well, whatever. It's none of my business. It is our business. We love each other as Christians, as brothers and sisters. And that's the whole point of this chapter 12 is to bring us together as a family. Weep and pray over other sin, your own sin as well. But that is the type of relationship that we need to have with each other. And we show the hospitality and we show the love and we're tight. We're spending eternity together. Whether you like me or not, right? That's more than what we can say, maybe for some of our own flesh and blood family members. And so that's why this family is way more important than any other on earth. Because this is the eternal family that we have with each other. If we have children, we quickly go to them and help turn them in the right direction. But when we do it to each other, we tend to take offense. Why do we take offense? We take offense because we're not close enough. That's it. We take offense because we haven't spent the time to let each other know how much we love them. That's it. If everybody knows that I'm here because I love you and I'm trying to give advice because I truly love you, you're you're accepting of that. But if you don't know that someone else loves you, you're not going to listen to that advice. You're going to push back on it. You're going to fight it. You're going to say, don't judge me. Right? That's that's our defense mechanism. So it is our job to spend the time with each other to the point where we all know how much we love each other. Number one thing that we can do as a church And that is how we can weep during even rejoicing and rejoice during weeping and how all that comes around sin. But yet that's not the point of Paul's passage here. So how does this work? Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. How does this work? Because it's not, it ain't easy. It's not something that comes natural for us. And actually, and it's a burden of my heart for the church as a whole, because if you look at the church as a whole, I would say that they're not doing this, and it really hurts me. The, The church as a whole wants us to fight. Right? That's all you ever hear. Stand up and fight. It's not what Christ tells us to do. It's not it at all. 
There was no fight. Fight comes from pride. That's it. That's it. This only works, and we only are given the ability when our desire for self-exaltation is surrendered. When our desire to exalt ourselves or glorify ourselves is surrendered and our number one desire and, and goal in life is to exalt and glorify Christ, that's it. When our concern is only to exalt and glorify Christ, then and only then will, will be, we be able to begin to do this. That's what faith does. That's what faith does. We talked about this when we, when we looked at verse 3. The way we are able to examine ourselves, not to think more than ourselves than we ought to. Faith looks in the mirror, and faith doesn't see me. Faith sees through that mirror and sees Christ. We're not worried about ourselves other than the sin that flares up, but we're worried about Christ and seeking Him and glorifying Him, and we find Him as our joy. When our attention comes off of ourselves and is put on Christ, then things change in our life. Then we're given the abilities to do these sorts of things. Working faith in our lives glorifies Christ and minimizes ourselves. It glorifies Christ and it minimizes me. That's just what faith does. Faith is the trust in something other than yourself, right? But we compartmentalize the faith. We say, well, I trust that I can't save myself, so I'm, I'm going to trust in Jesus for that. But that's it. Everything else I'm going to deal with. And I would tell you that that's impossible. The faith of Jesus Christ is all-encompassing and permeates every part of our being. We are a new creation, a faith-filled creation, when we are in Christ Jesus. So we can't compartmentalize him and just rely on him for salvation and nothing else. It doesn't work that way. If that's what we're doing, then I would suggest to us that we do not know him. We are those that Brad so admires in Matthew 7. It's an inside joke. but When we do that, we are cheapening the grace of God. And I suggest that it's not possible. A true Christian, a true Christian's focus is directed away from ourselves and totally, fully toward Christ. These passages are radical, right? They're radical. And they are everything that the world is not. And they are everything that we are, when we come into this world, we come into this world opposite of, right? Whenever somebody persecutes us, what do we do? I'm going to get even, right? I'm going to get even, And the world glorifies that person, right? He's tough. He doesn't take any whatever, right? We glorify and we set that person on a pedestal, yet that's not what God tells us to do. 
Admiring someone because they fight and bite back should not occur in the church. Paul tells us, he doesn't just tell us not to retaliate, does he? He doesn't say, just don't hit back or just don't retaliate. He tells us something deeper than just refraining or doing something. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, someone hits you in the cheek, what do you do? You give them your other cheek. That's doing. That's easy. I say easy. It is. You can make yourself do that. Someone bites you, you cannot retaliate, and you can turn around. But what are you doing under your breath, right? You're doing all kinds of bad things between your ears to that person, right? You may not hit them. You may not cuss them. But in between here, there's all kinds of bad thoughts going on. Paul tells us to go a step further. Don't just give them your other cheek, but bless them. Bless them. That's internal. That's not just refraining from knocking their block off. That's blessing them because you love them. That's next level stuff. That's a lot more difficult than just holding your fist or holding your tongue to actually bless them. That's tough. Those are difficult things to do or not to do. Bless and do not curse. Those only flow from the heart. That is radical. That's why these passages are so difficult for this guy to deal with. And I know they're difficult for you all as well. But I encourage us not to just toss them aside because they're hard. Doing this is against everything in the world, right? Doing this may be even against what we teach our kids to do whenever they're growing up, right? I'm sure I probably gave this advice to Brady and Nathan, whoever. We teach our kids this. We train them up. Fight back. Stand up for yourself. Don't take any flack off of anybody. And yet the very creator of the universe tells us to bless those who curse us. Weep with those who weep. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Works like this. Faith in Christ requires us to die to ourselves. Die to ourselves. Remember verse 3? We die to ourselves as our source of enjoyment or our own source of contentment. So when someone threatens you, what is it that makes you want to fight back? That pride thing. They've hurt your feelings. They've hurt my feelings, right? So I want to get back at them. If, I'm don't, if, if I don't cherish or covet my own feelings, I have no desire to get back at them. So what I'm really saying is my feelings mean more to me at that moment than Jesus Christ does. Right? Do you see that? My desire not to be made foolish, which is 100% prideful, my desire not to be made look like a fool means more to me than doing what Christ asked me to do. 
It's prideful. It's selfishness. That's what it's all wrapped up in. You're going to do things for those that mean the most to you. I'll make the analogy of our children, right? Probably most of us, or our grandchildren, probably most of us are quicker to bite back or to fight back if someone does something to our child or our grandchild than ourselves. Anybody agree with that? Why is that? The answer is pretty clear. We think more of our children and our grandchildren than we do of ourselves. So you're going to fight for and retaliate against or on behalf of those that you love and cherish most of all in your life. So when someone attacks you, you love you and you're going to fight back. And instead, we should be only standing up fighting for Christ. We saw him do it. When did he do it? The only time. In the temple. He goes to the temple. He turns over the tables of the money changers because someone attacked the one person in his life that meant the world to him. And that was his father. God. So I'm not saying never bite back. I'm saying we should bite back when things like the money changers happen. But whenever we bite back because I've been personally offended, that's loving me, loving myself, loving ourselves more than our love for Christ. So that's the key, right? That, that gives us the ability to do that is to love Christ more than we truly love ourselves, when he becomes the joy of our hearts, our our life's contentment and everything that satisfies us is found in him, then we lose that desire to make much of me. That's it. That's how it is accomplished. Now, I'm not going to tell you that's easy. Because it ain't. Because we are born and we've lived so many years worried about this guy that it's hard, or old habits are hard to break. When we put ourselves with Jesus, then he becomes all the more beautiful to us. And the more we expose ourselves to him, the more beautiful he becomes. So the answer to that love situation, when we love ourselves more than him, is to spend more time with him and in his word. That's how it all works out. So how to get to here is to get the closest to Christ that you possibly can. And that's how we're enabled to do this. That's how we can bless those who persecute us. Not curse them, but bless them. Then we can rejoice when they rejoice and weep when they weep. Amen? Let us pray. Most gracious God, Lord, we thank you for these words that you've given us that are so difficult. These words that help us to love each other 
Father, these are kingdom principles that we have here. We know this is how it's going to be in in heaven, and we know this is how you want us to act here on earth until that day. But we also know you know how difficult it is for us. Help us, Father, to put ourselves aside, to focus on you. We pray that you would become the joy in our lives, that you would be our sense of contentment, that you would be our all in all every moment of our lives because we know that when we're focused on you and it is only then that we can bless those who persecute us, bless those who say bad things to us and and hurt our feelings because, Lord, that's what you've done to us. We have persecuted you. We have cursed you. We have done all sorts of bad things to you, yet there you are, our Savior, loving us so much to take on human form and come to this earth and live the perfect life that we don't have to, face all kinds of persecution and beatings and being demoralized and not once did you stand up for your rights or stand up for yourself but you did it all father so that we may have eternal life and we are so very grateful help us to find life's contentment in you now and always and forevermore and we pray lord that your spirit would sear these thoughts in our hearts and minds that they go with us that we not Put them away as we step out these doors. But we really do remember them. Try to make them a part of our lives each and every day. They're hard. And we ask for your help. And we pray, Father, that we don't just throw up our hands and walk away. We know this is your will for us. And help us to follow that will. Help us to encourage and love each other. We pray that you are glorified, for it is in Christ's precious name. Amen. All rise.